Well, praise the Lord. Thank you. God is so good to the likes of us. The Apostle Paul writing to one of the churches, he named off a number of different things that were not conducive to Christian life. And he said, such were some of you. Such were some of you. I think what I used to be. Where I used to go, what I used to do. No, I don't dwell on it. I don't think about it. It's been a long time now. But I think such were some of us. He said, but now. He didn't dwell on it. He said, but now. He said, you're washed. You're cleansed. Praise God. Oh, I tell you, it's good to be, it's good to be clean. It's good to feel clean. Amen. Good to feel wholesome and clean. That's what, if God does anything for an individual's life, He makes them clean. You can't, you can't come in, even, well, I guess there is no thing as casual contact with God. We have casual contact with each other, but you don't come in casual contact with God. You come in contact with God. Anyone does, and it's not a casual thing. Something, something's going to happen. They're either going to be repulsed. Jesus was an enigma. It was a strange thing. And there was an ambivalence toward him. I mean, people either, they hated him, but they couldn't leave him alone. They did. They, they, in fact, they conspired together. They hated him, but they could not leave him alone because there was something about him. I tell you, there's just something about God. You come in contact with him. It just can't be casual. Some people, you know, we know better than others. And... We are more prone to converse with them and talk with them. And you may be seated. God bless you for standing. And I think we could go home right now and say we've been blessed today. I have certainly enjoyed Brother Week's ministry. I enjoyed that preaching as much as I have anything in a long time. Thank God for someone who can hear from the Lord. It was wonderful. I just wanted to mention something real quick before I mention some other thing. I'll be more teaching here, you know. He, he got us up where we ought to be, you know, so now please stay there, you know. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's great. Somebody mentioned about paying tithes. Now, I'm sure there's no one here in this room that had problem paying tithes. You should never, never have a problem paying tithes. In the first place... First place, you're not paying them. They're not yours. It doesn't belong to you. If you're breathing and you're living, that's your tax on living. Paying tithes just a tax. That's God's. That belongs to Him. And you know, giving tithes. I you know I, I taught for many years when I pastored. Uh, you know, I would say most of the people in our church there, and probably 90-some percent of them, give 15% or more. They pay tithes and they pay offerings and they pay missions and something like that. And it's been a great blessing to the church. And 
to good practice. I don't, I don't teach as a doctrine, you know, the temple tax and the half shekel. I, I don't do that. I just say the 5% is just something very practical. It's just practical. It's just good. Because the Lord did say in his word about tithes and offerings. He did say both. And, you know, we give the tithe. We, we return that. God, God in his divine wisdom and providence, here it's his, but he lets it go through us. He lets us touch it, and we become a partner with Him. We touch what is His, and the tithe is holy. Amen. The tithe, that's why you should never keep it. God forbid. Oh, things are so tight this week or this month. And I know I've pastored lots of people who had problem paying tithes. They had problems. And it's a problem. That That is a bad problem if you had that. Because... That's the Lord. It's His. And God allows us, He allows that to come through us. He allows us to touch it and we give it to Him, put it in His treasury. God allows us to become a partner with Him in what's already His. You talk about a benevolent God. And tithing is a, it is one of the aspects of our relationship with God. Because the Lord did say there in Malachi, the classic scripture on paying tithes, that you have robbed me in tithes and offering. They said, Lord, how have we robbed you? He said, tithes and offering. So, so they were his already. And I thought about that a while back. I thought someone would actually steal from God. If you were in church or say a visiting in some family member's home, <clears throat> maybe in your grandmother's home or great-grandmother or great-aunt or somebody or sister or whatever, and you're sitting there on the couch and their purse was over there and it was open and there's a $50 bill sticking out there. You wouldn't... Now, I doubt if hardly anyone here or even, even sinners... Uh, well, some of them would. <laughs> would steal from your grandmother. Steal from your grandmother. Here, here's all she's got is Social Security coming in. She just barely makes it. Or your Aunt Sally or somebody that's just struggling. And maybe your sister's had a, had a bad problem, bad marriage, bad situation. And trying to raise the kids and... Trying to make a go of it, and you say, "Hmm, I could use that. Take that fifty, or take that 20. I mean, wouldn't that be mean? Something wrong with your relationship with that person if you can do that. Steal from your grandmother, your sister, your aunt, your old granddad who's just trying to make it, you know. And yet, some people steal from God, and He's better than all those folks put together." He's better to you. He was better to you when you were a sinner. God was good to you when you were a sinner. And there's something wrong with your something wrong with your relationship with God if you can steal from him. If you can steal from him there's something wrong and if you've done that you need to go right back home. You need to go to your pastor and say 
I stole so much. <laughs> Somebody says, but we don't like to say that. We say, I didn't pay tithes here. No, be honest. Tell your pastor and say, I stole so much. Whoa. That has a connotation to it that's a little bit stronger than I didn't pay tithes here. No, you stole. But that sounds bad. Pastor, I, I got to confess, I stole some money. Stole some money. Oh, God. There was a man in the church who think he's doing well and he's stealing money. Well, where was it? Well, I stole from God. Whew, oh, I thought you had sets out in the world stealing. You know, but hey, it's bad to steal from God. If you could steal from your grandmother, shame on you, or your grandfather, somebody, or your mother, or your dad who took care of you and raised you and provided for you, and actually steal from them. But to steal from God who died for you, to steal from the Lord who all He wants to do is make that a means to bless you. And so, don't say, Well, I paid my tithes. They're not yours. Or God's. I return my tithes. And uh, I would tell our church every now and then, I'd, when I'd get up and make the announcement, saying, Will ushers please come? I said, We're going to worship God now. We're going to worship Him. As you put that in, I want you to praise God. As you drop that envelope, your tithes, your offerings, your missions, building fund, whatever it may be, we're going we're gonna to worship God here. And, and that's the way it ought to be. There is a relationship. You see, money has a hold on a lot of people. The love of money is the root of all evil. And the Bible talks about some lusted after it. They greatly erred. They've made a big mistake in their attitude toward money. If their attitude toward God was right, their attitude toward money would be right. Because tithing is a factor, not, not all, but it is a factor of our relationship with God, just as a relationship with blood relatives, grandmother, grandfather, mother, dad, something like that, my word. What kind of person would steal from their dad or steal from their grandmother? But people steal from God and they don't think it's so bad. I, I guess because I guess he's pretty rich, you know. They don't feel like it's so bad. But, um, uh, you know, a criminal could come in the house and steal everything, but, you know, for you to go into your grandmother's house or your great aunt's house while they're gone and start stealing stuff, man, wouldn't that be bad? Wouldn't that be, oh, man, people look down. Oh, man, he went into his grandmother's house and took all this stuff and took it out and hocked it, you know. Wouldn't that be bad? Wouldn't that sound? Oh, you look at a person like that. Oh, man, what, what kind of character do they have? And yet God told Israel, he said, you've robbed me. You've just robbed me. I came home. And, you know, isn't that a horrible feeling? I, I, I was burglarized before when I lived in California. Oh, it's a horrible feeling. They took my nice guns, too. <laughs> oh, man, I had some nice guns. Oh. But anyway, I, I just thought I'd throw that in, just for whatever reason, I don't know. That may, who knows, it may fit somewhere. But tithing is part of your relationship. It's not just an ordinance. It's not just something to obey. 
It is part of your relationship with God. It's built in. With Israel, it was, man, God. With Israel, everything they did was part of their relationship with God. The clothes they wore, the food they ate, the journeys they made, uh, their laws, their, their laws regulating their animals, regulating everything, their worship, everything. Everything was tied into their relationship with God. And God was so merciful to them, so kind to them. And he's, he's good to his church too. And like I said, even before you were saved, before you knew the Lord, he knew where you were. And he knew your name. And he was so good to you. Somebody, my telephone rang one day. I was just a young man, not quite 20 years old. Sitting at home. I remember my telephone rang. I picked up. It was somebody that said, Hey, would you like to go to church? I thought, Church? You know? On a Saturday night, they were having a revival. It was my brother who called me. He would start going. The family thought he was kind of strange anyway because he started going to this Holy Roller church. They called them Holy Rollers back then. There was no charismatic. There was no nothing. You talk about them. Fifty years, it was ago. Hey, he wasn't looked down on. Yeah. Church, I thought, eh, just on a lark, I think I'll go. So I went. And I went back the next day, which was Sunday. And that night I gave my heart to the Lord. Got baptized in Jesus' name. A week later, got the Holy Ghost. And my wife said, I hate you. Don't touch me. She despised it. Oh, she hated it. She wouldn't go to church. No, sir. She said, I hate it. I hate you. I hate, hate everything about it. You know, she wouldn't go. She wasn't, she's not a mean person. But finally she went. Nothing happened. She went again. Nothing happened. She went one night and the Lord touched her heart. She came down later on and she got the Holy Ghost. So God, God's been good to us. Been good to us. I have four children, two boys, two girls. They're all in the church living for God. Seven grandchildren. There's one out in the world, one grandson. The others go to our church there. And I think, you know, you can't, you can't hardly pay for things like that. Oh, yeah, there's been troubles. There's been trials. There's been heartaches in the family. Brother Weeks talked about I mean, that was so good and so graphic the way he brought it out. Oh, yeah, there's going to be bumps in the road, I'm going to tell you. There's bumps in the road. If you're really living for God and trying to do something for Him, oh, there's going to be bumps in the road. But he told the Apostle Paul, he said, Okay, Paul, but my grace is sufficient. Paul said, Wow, now then when I go through something, I can rejoice in it instead of... He felt bad. He felt, oh, Lord, take this away. Take this away. And the Lord wouldn't take it away. He said, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect. Sometimes we want to be perfect. We don't want to take what it takes to be perfect. All right? He wanted to be perfect. He said, my strength is made perfect in weakness. Sometimes I feel I can't do anything about a situation except pray. Now, I don't just mean except pray, but prayer is a great thing. Well, so don't, don't ever steal from God. Because eh? then when you do, 
got to pay it back plus 20%. <laughs> Quiet. <laughs> Quiet. <laughs> yeah, you got to pay God back, plus you got to give Him one-fifth thereof. And so, because the same word that teaches us tithing teaches us that also. So it's part of your personal walk with God. It's, it's a privilege. I, I remember I, I've been going to church for about, oh, a few weeks, maybe. Let's see, my wife wasn't in church yet. I don't know, three, four weeks maybe. And I went one Tuesday night and had me a Bible. And man, I'm sitting there just happy. I just got the Holy Ghost and church is on fire and, and just great things happening. And uh, a few months later, Brother Hudson came and preached that revival for us. But anyway... The pastor got up and said, well, tonight, Tuesday night Bible study, I'm going to teach about paying tithes. Oh, man. I had heard about it because I've been to the Baptist church a little bit. You know, they, they believed in paying tithes. And so I heard that lesson. And, man, when he was through with that lesson, I couldn't wait till payday. I couldn't wait till payday. And my wife took care of all the money and everything. But I said, I'm going to start paying tithes. You're a What? I mean, I mean, we were the working poor. We were, I had a, had a job, entry level, hadn't been at it too long with a utility company and could have been a good job later on, but, oh man, when I started paying tithes, whew, what the, what the family thought about that. We were just barely made. I mean, I didn't know we were poor, but, you know, as I look back at now, man, we were poor and trying to raise kids and all this and that, three kids by the time you're 23 years old and everything, wow, Lord have mercy. So um, anyway, I was so thrilled and excited to hear that Bible study. As I look back on it now, he probably did it for my sake. I was a new one in the church. They hadn't seen my tithe envelope come through yet. He was probably doing it and saying, I'm going to hope I get him tonight. You know? <laughs> you know? And, you know, he got me. He got me. I started paying tithes and never missed one time since then. And God's been good. God's been so, his blessing has been so abundant. And not just material blessings, which I thank him for that. He's been so good, his providence and care. Because, you see, God's not into poverty. Uh, poverty is a curse. It's a curse. God never indicated that his people should be poor. He indicated there would be poor. But anyway, with the help of the Lord today, I want to talk about this subject. How we receive grace in our life. The word grace is very common to the church. We hear the word grace, probably the word grace and love as much as anything. Grace is so very important. We know we can't be saved without grace. I want to establish, first of all, the fact we realize and understand there is a sovereign grace of God that none of us have anything to do with. It. There is a sovereign grace of God. But basically what this will translate to and boil down to, if you want to just render it down what's all through, is uh, if there's no preacher, there's no grace. Oh, no preaching, there's no grace. How do we get this grace in our life? 
By grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, that is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Grace is the gift of God. There is a sovereign grace. But remember two words. Remember the word grace and remember the word gift. They're going to be real closely tied together. I'm going to read from Ephesians chapter 4. Book of Ephesians chapter 4. Great letter. I know this is spurious, but if I could pick one epistle out of the New Testament and just have one and have to omit all the others, I think I'd take Ephesians. Uh, there's, it's just such a beautiful book. It is a, it is a masterpiece. Of course, when you think of the Apostle Paul, he was the, he was the brains of his generation. He was the intellect of his world. He could speak to the kings and to the rulers. He could speak to the priests. He could speak to the common people, the working people. He could speak to the sailors on the boat. He could speak to the soldiers. He could speak to anyone. And uh, God used him in such a wonderful way. Ephesians chapter 4. In verse 7, it says, But unto every one of us is given grace, according to the measure of the gift of Christ. You may be seated. Grace and the gift. Grace is mentioned in the Bible, uh, well, in the New Testament, it's mentioned over 100 times. So it has to be something. I, I guess in the Old Testament... It would translate to mercy, something like that. We realize there is a sovereign grace of God. And in Ephesians chapter 3, just back a little bit, I can read my writing here, my word. Yes, it says, by, that's for that scripture, by grace are you saved through faith, not those selves, the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And... There are some things grace is necessary to salvation. We found that out. If we don't have grace, we're not saved. It can't be there. Grace is what saves us. Grace is a gift. The grace of your saved through faith, not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is through the gift of God that we get, we get grace in our life. And Ephesians 4 and 7 will be a key verse unto every one of us. I'll read this again. Is given grace. And there he qualifies it now. According to the measure of the gift of Christ. God has measures. And of course God's measures are, are perfect. I mean sometimes we measure things out. Oh, I was supposed to fill up in this gallon can so much. And we, you know. We're not all that perfect sometimes, but God, God is not almost or a little bit over. God's measuring. I mean, God's measuring. You know, in the Bureau of Standards, they have the perfect foot, the perfect inch, the perfect ounce, the perfect pound. I mean, absolutely perfect. Over in Greenwich, England, they have the perfect time, you know, that everything goes either one way or the other from that. And God, though, God is so perfect. He is so perfect in what he does. In his measuring, he is so perfect. He doesn't miss 
Sometimes we think, uh, like the carpenter said, man, I cut it off twice, and it's still too short. <laughs> and, uh, you know, something like that. But uh, God doesn't miss. God doesn't miss. He's perfect. And especially in when God measures uh, with his church, God is perfect. I know there is some imperfection there with the contact between us and God. There's some imperfection there, but not on God's part. He is absolutely perfect in things he says and things that he, things that he does. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 10, it's a good revelation here, good scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. Same writer. He says, But we will not boast of things without our measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God has distributed to us, a measure to reach even unto you. For we stretch not ourselves beyond our measure, as though we reached not unto you. For we are come as far as to you also in preaching the gospel of Christ, not boasting of things without our measure, that is, of other men's labors, so on and so forth. So the, the apostle lets us know right there, there is a God-given measure. A God-given measure. And he said, we won't boast of things that are beyond our measure. We won't do that. He had, he had sense enough to realize that, that there is a God-given measure. But he wanted the church to know. He said, I have a measure to reach unto you. He had that measure. He didn't say, I have the power, I have the authority. He said, but I have a measure. In other words, a measure conjures up images of also limitations. If something is measured, you know, there, there, there are limitations there. Sometimes they, where we live, they, they, they've got a, a, a measure on if you're about bass fishing or something. Your bass has got to be so, so long, 12 inches long, something like that. And uh, sometimes we try to stretch it a little bit. But <laughs> say, don't look at that fish too hard, you know. But um, God let us know here in the words of the Apostle Paul that he has, that uh, he, he said, I'm not going to boast of things outside my measure, but according to the measure of the rule which God has given to us, a measure to reach unto you. A measure, a God-given measure. God determines who's going to reach you. God does. If you remember the scripture we just read in Ephesians there, that um, I could turn back to that, but uh, he said, where is that, Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 7. So important. Unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift of Christ. There's the word gift. There's the word measure again. God has a given measure. And God determines, as he was here, who's going to reach them. And God God gave, as he says in verse 8, Ephesians 4, he said he gave gifts unto men. 
And we find out as we read on down, those gifts are men. They're men with a ministry. And we're talking about how we receive grace in our life. Unto every one of us is given grace. Now here's the qualifier. According to the measure of the gift. The gift is a man. The measure is the ability God gives him. That's why we have apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Because a pastor may be a great man of God. He may be wonderful. We may have some great evangelists, and we do. We have some great missionaries. We have some great Bible teachers. But you know what? It takes all of them to perfect a church. It takes all. Under every one of us is given grace. Grace is what saves us. Every one of us is given grace uh-huh. according to the measure of the gift that man is the gift Ephesians chapter 4 here lets us know it says he ascended uh, see he led captivity captive and gave gifts unto men and he gave apostles prophets evangelists pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ God determines who reaches us And he, we are reached for the effect of grace in our life. What is more wonderful than like the preaching we heard this morning? You know what he, Brother Weeks was doing? He was, God gave him a measure. God gave him a message. God gave him a measure to reach someone here today. And that, what he was doing, he was, he was bringing grace to our hearts and to our lives. Given grace. That's, that'll help save you. That'll help save us. It'll help save me. We're given grace according to the measure of the gift. That's why that if you want to be a preacher, you better make sure you're called. Because it's going to be your job to measure grace to what saves people. And I tell you, nothing else, well, something else that can just besides being pride for however we is somebody up here who's not called to preach and wants to think they are and, and, and they want to be what a the, that is the height of presumption for someone to th- you know young guys have to you know that they want to do something for God and, and obviously not everyone's going to be called to preach but you know we probably if you've been around long enough you've probably seen services people get up and say things and it's wonderful then here comes some guy because he's in it for himself if somebody's not called to preach but they want to be called to preach they they want to be called to preach for a wrong reason and I'm telling you they can throw a damper on a good service they can get up there and what they say is so off the wall it doesn't fit you're laughing because you know it's You've been there. <laughs> and if you like I say, if you've been around long enough, and the guy gets up, and it's just not there, and people think, "What in the world?" People get fidgety. People get, you know, they, you know, you know, good folks in church. You know, they're not trying to be critical. They're taught to respect the ministry, but this guy is not called. And man, he can mess up a service so quick. He can mess things up. He can put a damper on it. And then he goes and sits down and thinks he, bless God, I really had something to say, you know. And, and uh, he couldn't reach a flea. 
Because the preacher is supposed to reach people. The gift of God, which is the five-fold ministry, is measured to help people. God is very precise with His church. He's very precise. He's very accurate. And God knows you, and He knows you as a pastor, and He knows your pastor, and He knows where you should be, and He's given that man of God to reach you, and then others come in. He'll have evangelists come in, guest speakers come in, maybe a missionary come by, whatever. And God gives those men the measure unto every one of us is given grace according to the measure of the gift, of God's gift. And we find out here in Ephesians 4, God's gift are men. And God gives a man, He doesn't give us, doesn't give one man everything, but He gives him enough to measure to us. What Brother Weeks had to say this morning was wonderful because it was just enough. He stopped just when he should. I mean, occasionally we go farther, but I mean, he stopped just when he should, and he had just given us just what we need. You don't need any more for right now, but you're going to need some more later. And, and there's going to be somebody, whether it is your pastor or a guest speaker or an evangelist, whatever it may be, God sets that man up there, and that man measures. Paul said, I can't go beyond. He said, I don't stretch myself beyond the measure God gave me. You know, preachers have to realize, hey, I, man, I, I, I think need, more needs to be said. Now, I need to do something else here tonight. But maybe for that night, that's all it's going to be. That's all that it might be. Paul said, I have a measure. There in Ephesians 4 and 8, it said, God gave gifts unto men. And one translator said, He Himself appointed and gave men to us. He gave men. He appointed them and gave them to us. And every man of God who is called. Now there's some young men who are called, and they're called to stay right in that local church. If a church is going to go the way it should, if it's going to grow, if it's going to have a certain level of attendance and people there, you're going to have to have more than just one man. You're going to need more than just one. Some young men will come up and they may think, oh boy, a couple of years here and I get to go out. Well, some will go out. Some, and, and that's the way it ought to be. Some will go out. They'll start a church. They'll evangelize. They'll take a church, and whatever it may be. But there's some that God has just to help that pastor. Just there, There's some in the church that I did pastor up until a few months ago. And they're, they're there, and that's what they're there for. But one of them was with me for 23 years, and he's the one I turned the church over to. And it was just smooth as clockwork. Oh, there was a few ripples in the pond, I guess, a few things, but uh, nothing that can't be surmounted. So don't, don't, you know, your pastor will know if you're one to go out. And somebody says, well, I don't want, if they're called to preach, I don't want them hanging around there. They're going to cause me trouble. Not if they're called just at that level. Because there's a couple in our church that are still there. They will always be there. I have mentioned from the pulpit, they're always going to be here. The congregation knows they're there. And they can preach. 
Oh, they can preach it good. They could go out and probably pastor a small group of people. And they can preach. But that's not their place. Their place is right there as Moses and, uh, and uh, as Aaron and Hur held up the hands of Moses. As long as Moses' hands were up, Israel prevailed. And Hur was on one side and Aaron was on the other side. And they held up his arms until Israel got the victory. And it's such a blessing that men in the church will honor the pastor. And they will honor the pastor with their life. They will honor the pastor with what ministry God has given them. God stops. He measured to them. Say, now this is all you're going to have. It's as far as your ministry will go. You're a gift to the church, but I'm only going to use you as a measure for just so much here. Ephesians 4 and 29 even says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. There's something about words, things that are spoken, that can administer grace to people. God gave men to us. And as we connect the words gift and grace, we see it in more places in the Bible. In the book of... um, In the book of Titus, Titus chapter 2 and verse 11, verse 11 and 12, the writer says, For the grace of God that brings salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldliness, we should live sober and righteous in God in this present world. How we receive grace in our life is by the teaching of the word of God. The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all. What does it do? Teaches us to avoid this, to avoid that. Who who teaches us new people when they come in? Don't do this. Don't do that. We don't do this. We don't accept that. We do this now. We do it this way now. It's the preaching of the man of God. And that brings grace to the lives of people. It brings saving grace. You can't disconnect grace and the gift of God he says he he gave gifts unto men he gave men unto us as gifts in his church and that is a wonderful wonderful thing if you're going to have grace in your life you're going to have to have some teaching the grace of God that brings salvation appeared teaching us, denying ungodliness, worldliness. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So you got saving grace is taught. Grace, how to live for God. The pastor, the preachers will establish grace in your life. And of course, we need it all the way along. As I said already this morning, we heard something that brought grace to our life. Help to save us. Help to encourage us. Help us to bring us along the way. Because a man of God, a gift from God. He had a measure. And he measured very precisely and very definitely. And it was very clear what he had to say. But someone who's not called, they'll just muddy the water. It isn't clear what they have to say. And when someone finds their place in God... If a young man finds his place in God, that that's where God wants me to be, and he tells the pastor, say, I don't care ever about leaving this place, and I'll never cause you any problem. 
but I'm here and uh, I do want to be used of God. And there are some men, they do have it because there's not only the five-fold ministry, but there's helps and there's governments in the church. Men that who God raises up to fill certain positions that are so, they're auxiliary to, but they're so supportive of the pastor. And, like I said, in some cases, those men will go on and develop, and they'll go out, start a church, take a church, but there's some that stops right there. God says, no, you're to stay right here. You're to help this man. And if a church is going to grow past a certain level, that man's going to have to develop people in his church to help him help him with it and um, some of them may be coming up and going out but some of them are coming up and that's where they're going to stay grace we've got to have grace in our life by grace are we saved through faith that not of ourselves it's a gift of God it's a gift when a man can preach and help us and strengthen us that's, that's God himself bringing to us what, what we need to help us to get to heaven. In Acts chapter 13, verse 42, it's mentioned again. It says, And when the Jews were gone out of the synagogue, the Gentiles besought that these things might be preached to them the next Sabbath. Now when the congregation was if I have the right one here, Acts thirteen forty-two, I guess. Okay, Paul and Barnabas, who speaking to them, persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. Paul and Barnabas, two evangelists, two missionaries, two preachers, they persuaded them. They were able to teach the people. The people said, we want to be taught. Teach us. What? What did their teaching boil down to? Their teaching boiled down to continue in the grace of God. It was the teaching and the preaching that brought grace to their life. And it's going to be preaching and teaching that brings grace to your life. That was grace we heard this morning. It'll be grace you'll hear tomorrow in, in, in your local church, tomorrow morning, tomorrow night, and as the weeks go on. What you hear is not just a message or not just a sermon, but you're hearing a level of grace that God is bringing in His mercy because He wants us all to be saved. Oh my. God's so good to us. And in Romans chapter Romans chapter 12 there's something here that connects it together also. Romans chapter 12 and verses 6 and 7. Having then gifts, differing according to the grace that is given to us. Whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of our faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering. Or he that teaches on teaching. He said, having then gifts, differing according to the grace that is given to us. The grace Paul was talking about himself. Having them gifts differing according to the grace given to us. And he mentioned some spiritual gifts here and some ministries and things like that. But here is the word grace and, and gift is brought together again. 
It is God's mercy and his love that he has provided in the church men who are gifts to the church. And they provide grace to us. But someone who's not called to preach and gets up and tries to, they actually take away. They actually detract. They, it, they, it has a reverse effect. It actually takes grace away because it confuses people. We've had people come to our church, men, and they get up, and usually it doesn't take more than 20 seconds to realize he's not, he's not called. Another, and then you look at the people, and the people are looking at you, you know, and you're... You know, you've got to make a good... Yeah, because they watch you. They watch the preacher. They watch that guy, and then they watch the pastor. What's he doing, you know? And if I'm getting with it, and I'm supporting the guy, then they will, you know. But if they feel that this funny, uncomfortable feeling, and I'm all of a sudden very interested in my shoelaces or something, you know? Uh, uh, it, it doesn't fly. It won't fly. And then the guy sits down, everybody, you can just feel it. You can feel it. Because when God calls a man, he gives him something to give people. He gives him something to present to people, to present to their lives. And it is such a beautiful balance when God does it. A church and a pastor and God and the people and the ministry, and the gifts of God, and then then there's the gifts of the Spirit, and these things, and the five-fold ministry. It is such a beautiful balance. God puts it all together, and it develops people who love Him and want to go to heaven. And uh, one thing that I have enjoyed in pastoring, and this might sound kind of morbid and macabre, but uh, I've enjoyed saints' funerals. When I took the pastor of that church there a little over 25 years ago, there were 20-some people over 70 years old. Well, obviously they're all gone now. <laughs> that was 25 years ago. But some of them, they were, they were children of God. They were saints of God. And the spirit that comes into that funeral service, oh, man, I mean to tell you, it is really, it is just something so beautiful. And to know that that life has been affected by the teaching of the Word of God. That life is in heaven because of the grace of God. By grace are we saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Grace saves us through His gift. And His gift is His ministry that brings grace to our life. You go to church and you got a problem, you got a difficulty. You're facing something just like as Brother Weeks was doing this morning. And man, what am I going to do? And the preacher gets up and says, I heard from God. I'm going to bring this to you. You walked in the church, your head kind of down. Man, I don't know. Boy, this is rough. But when you walked out of the church, you felt like you're ten feet tall. You felt like you could tackle every devil by yourself. Because God took his gift and presented it to the church. And it had an effect of grace in your life. Wonderful saving grace. I tell you, church church is a wonderful place. It's already been mentioned about 
you know, being faithful to church. Boy, I'm telling you, that's something that whoo, was I was I death on people missing church when they didn't have to. Mm-mm. You don't do that around here. No. When I came there, I'm telling you, Idaho people love to have fun, fun and games. I mean, taking off and. And going not only just hunting and fishing, snowmobiling, camping. Oh, man, that's a big deal because there's so much of it. And I had one lady. She'd been in the church for years. She's close to the same age I was. And, and we're, we're talking. I'd been there maybe a few weeks, maybe a few months, not very long. She said, do you mean that you're going to take our weekends away from us? I said, well, the weekends are for church, <laughs> you know. But but they like they had a cabin up in the mountains and they snowmobiled and they had fun and sometimes they would just take off you know people would want to take off on Friday or during the week and be gone all over the weekend I say well uh, my wife and I were there you see I came in January the first big three day holiday was uh, May Memorial Day it was three day weekend it happened to fall that way three day weekend. And so Saturday, my wife and I are driving around town. We've just been here a few months. And we thought, oh, well, what's going on here? This place is deserted. The town's deserted. It's like a ghost town. Well, what's happening here? People are gone. And we went to church next day. Same thing. <laughs> Where is everyone? They're gone. The, my first three-day weekend, I think it was there. First major one. Major one of summer, you know, everybody, boy, they get, you know, you get cabin fever. It's cold and the weather starts to warm up and people want to get out. And, and I th- Well, of course, I let everyone know about that, too, later on when they came back, you know. And, uh, you know, I, uh, I'm not that cruel, but, uh, uh, you know, vacations are fine. Vacations are good. Everyone needs a vacation, everything like that. But um, everybody needs to be in church, too. In Second Corinthians chapter, Second Corinthians chapter eight, there's something here about what teaching does. Also, thank God for His Word. His Word is wonderful. Second Corinthians chapter eight and verses six and seven. Inasmuch that we desired Titus, that as he had begun. So he would also finish in you the same grace also. Therefore, as you abound in everything, in faith, in utterance, in knowledge, and in all diligence, and in your love to us, see that you abound in this grace also. He was talking about finances and giving and stewardship. And he said, we desired Titus that he had begun that he would also finish in you the same grace also. Titus' teaching and his ministry had a a finishing effect for these people to be generous in giving. That had an effect. Uh, Titus' teaching on their life taught them to be generous. And I think as Christians we ought to be generous. It's good for every church to have a good, strong missions program to support good men of God who are on the field who, you know, most of their situations, they can't work, they can't have employment, they're on the mission field, and, and to help them out. God will bless a church that has a good, strong missions program. We started teaching that after I'd come. We were always missions-minded. My pastor had been a missionary. My brother had been a missionary. And uh, so the people responded so well 
they responded just great in that area of grace and uh, I don't want to talk too much you know it's not like I'm getting proud I'm bragging <laughs> but uh, uh, when I when I went there the church could hardly pay its bills in fact it had to wait to pay its obligations and here a few years ago well it's been quite a few years ago now we paid off everything haven't owed a dime for I don't know how many years don't owe anything there's been years we had given $100,000 for missions, foreign missions. There's one year we gave about, I see we were numbered, well, this, this is UPC. You know. <laughs> we were number seven in the nation for missions giving. There's only six churches that gave more. We gave Brother Yarborough, who's close to us over there, he found a church building starting one 35 miles away. We gave him $35,000 to pay for half that building. I see, was that it? Something, yeah, and then also uh, there was something else. There, there was something else that it was way up there. I, I think we had a, we were number two in the nation in Sheaves for Christ. and Whatever that matters. Anyway, I'm just saying the way that the people begin to respond to giving. I was able, with the help of the Lord and with the Holy Ghost, to bring grace in their life. And it always made me feel good, not, not really proud, but gratified, that if some need came, I could present it like that. And in seconds, seconds, thousands of dollars, I mean, just people, boom, 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 boom. I'm just like that. Thousands of dollars. I told him, I said, never one time have you ever embarrassed me. Never. Because they were so responsive. Because it had been taught to them. And God, they saw the hand of God. They saw the blessing of God in, in other people's lives. And, and so here, Titus, Paul indicated that Titus finished this grace in their life. There was a grace there. And uh, uh, grace is something that, that it's only from God. And like I said, there is just a sovereign grace of God, but also the grace of God that he uses men who are his gifts to the church. And the Bible says in First Peter, it says God gives grace to the humble. It says he resists the proud, but he gives grace to the to the humble. And Second Peter 3 and 18 indicates that we get great knowledge from teaching. How do we receive grace in our life? We receive it from the ministry of the Word of God. And it's through the gift of God. It's through His wonderful gifts. Through He gave men unto us. Men who have a gift. It's not of them. It's not because, you know, they may be educated or they may have a great intellect or they may be, have great powers of recall and memory. No. That, that's a plus, I guess. There's no premium on ignorance, you know. That's, that's a plus. You can get a college education. Wonderful. Get it. Go ahead. And, uh, but at the same time, uh, you know, realize that God has to be in your life, too, if it's the will of God. But um, in Jude, the little book says so much. Oh, does it say so much. 
so much relative to our day today. In Jude, verse 4, the writer said, For there are certain men crept in unawares, who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. Turning the grace of God, men who get up in pulpits and allow people to do everything they want to do. Turning the grace of God, which should ordinarily save them, into something unclean and something ungodly. Grace by perverted teaching. If a man can change the grace of God, then a man can bring it. These men, it said, it said here, that they were they they actually took the grace of God and they turned it into something unclean. Here they are. Maybe God called at one time, who knows, but now then they're actually taking what would bring grace in people's lives and actually reversing the effect. So if if a man can do that, if he can change the grace of God and actually uh, cause ungodliness in people's lives, then surely a man through the, the ministry of the Holy Ghost and through the grace of God and by the gift that God has given him can bring wonderful transformation to the lives of people and bring great strength and bring a beautiful walk with God. It's a wonderful thing. Turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. Something God wants in the lives of people to make it so beautiful. But now then they have allowed so much. And we're seeing that today. We see that today with men who once believed something. And once believed this wonderful truth. And the essentiality of every bit of it. And now then so many things are arbitrary. If, if you want to do this. If you want to do that. It's okay. And they take what should be the grace of God given through a gift of God and molding a person into holiness and truth. They turn it the other way. It's sad, it's so sad, it's so sad. I'll just close with this. that Just try and circumvent the ministry and get grace in your life. Try and go either against the pastor or around the pastor or around the church and see how much grace you maintain in your life. You won't have any people who do that. I've had people stand right in my office and I've looked at them and I said, in, you know, in a certain amount of time, I said, you're going to be doing this and you're going to be doing that if you, if you, keep, if you, if you execute your plans here. They said, oh no, I would never do that. Oh, I would never do that. That doesn't last very long. Once you get out from under the grace of God, you get out from under a man of God. I'm telling you, I wouldn't want to be there. I wouldn't want to be out from under a man of God. I'm glad I, you know, I went quite a few years. My pastor died. I didn't have one. I had other men to whom I submitted myself. But I say, thank God, I've got a pastor now. He's only 40 years old, but I have a pastor. And, uh, and I'm glad for it. And it feels good. Because you get out from under a pastor and under a man of God, and all of a sudden what goes is your grace. It's gone. You see them, and they don't want to look at you, and they don't want to see you, because what you told them was true. They may at the moment feel well, what they're saying. They don't think they're lying, because well, when they're standing right there talking to you, I remember talking to one lady in my office, 
And I remember where I was and where she was. And I said, you're going to be doing this, you're going to be doing that. Oh, no, I'd never do that. But just a little while from out from under a gift of God. And they're up out there with things in the world. Thank you. Could we stand together? It takes grace to save us. We cannot be saved without grace. The Bible teaches it. Teaches us that we have to have the gift of grace in our life to be saved. And so if there's something that I have to have in my life to be saved, I want to know how to get it. I want it to be prevalent there. I want it to be evident. Paul told Timothy one time, he Name some things, do this and do this and do that. He said, that your profiting may appear to all. There's nothing wrong with a young man who feels called of God to preach the gospel, to be recognized in the congregation. Paul said, Tim- Timothy, that, that, you're, that you're, uh, it may be evident to everyone that the hand of God is upon you. And God's hand has to be upon someone if they're going to ever you see God's grace has to be on your life you're going to affect the life of other people and that's what God's ministers are all gifts he said and he gave gifts unto men and then it says what he gave it talks about the fivefold ministry and he gave that the, the gift and the grace go right together they go right together The reason you have grace in your life is because you listen to a pastor. You listen to a Bible teacher. You listen to an evangelist. You listen to someone in the ministry. That's why you have grace in your life. And the people who have, you know, grace is a thing that there's either little or there's much of it. The more you listen to the preaching, the more you love the ministry, the more you respect in such a profound way the calling of the man of God, the more grace there's going to be in your life. The more grace there will be there. The more victory there will be there. But you let somebody just begin to resist the ministry a little bit. The grace goes. Their ability to counter uh, temptation and things like that, it's gone. And pretty soon they fall, and they fall hard usually when they fall. They fall into sin such a sad thing but when someone hears the words of the man of God and says even though sometimes it might be something they don't want to hear but they hear and they say yes Lord yes Lord yes Lord it'll bring grace in their life praise the Lord and we look to the Lord lift our hearts to him today thank you Jesus Thank you for the grace of God that brings salvation. Thank you for the gift that you've given unto us. That we may receive grace in our life. We want that grace to grow. Our appreciation and love for the man of God. For the word of God. For the gift of God. We want it to grow in our lives. In Jesus name. Amen.